Greetings, everyone. Greetings. Welcome all. This is Chief Yuya, and you, of course, are listening to the Chief Yuya podcast. And in this session, we're going to get into the work of George Orwell, uh, 1984, his novel, 1984. And I guess we could we could throw in the movie in there as well. But um, we're doing actually a series. I know I haven't done any kind of book or movie breakdowns in some time, but uh, I'm going to bundle a couple of movies in a package, right? So I'm going to tell you now from the beginning, just so you know what's coming next. Uh, 1984, Conan the Barbarian, and The NeverEnding Story. And I may I may throw another one in there. I'm not sure. I'm, 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 I'll, we'll, see, we'll see how it goes. <laughs> We'll see what your feedback is with, with these that we, we've all, we're going to start with. But everything starts in 1984. All right. And again, I know many times I've referenced it and thrown little, you know, little gems, little sprinkles, little gold dust slivers and say, oh, you know, like in 1984. But uh, this time we're actually going to we're not going to do a full movie breakdown. In fact, as I'm sitting here talking, I'm seeing if I might even just set a timer. For myself, because uh, there are there are so many gems dropped in the book that is ridiculous. You know, uh, the 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 film and well, more so the book itself created a whole different kind of thinking. You know, so uh, you'll understand more now when you hear someone say something like Orwellian thought or an or- Orwellian theme, what they're actually speaking about. All right. So um, there's no way I'm going to cover everything. There's no way. All right. So I'm going to try to just um, hit the points. So I'm using three movies to kind of make it an, an overall thought. And I'm presenting an overall message by using 1984, Conan the Barbarian, and, um, oh, man, I forgot. <laughs> the never ending story, you know. All right. So uh, probably some of you may have may have read it before because um you know, in some schools, I think they, you know, it's required reading 1984. Sometimes they give you um, Brave New World, you know, some schools, you know, not not all schools, of course. But I know that some people I've spoken to uh, actually got to read it in high school. Um, so anyway, uh, very brilliant work, obviously, or we wouldn't we wouldn't really be getting into it, you know, and. There were a lot of movies that came out between 82 and 85 that were phenomenal in terms of what they presented in terms of their message, you know, and really the overarching theme that was present. Conan came out in 82 and uh, Never Ending, Never Ending Story excuse me, came out in, in uh, 84 as well. But uh, I figured we start with 1984 because it sets the tone. Now, what what tone am I looking to set? OK, first. You know, one of the things that I, sometimes I, I mention a little bit, I try not to linger on it too much, but uh, I'll do little quick, quick references about the level of um, deception and malignment and just overall con game that goes on within culture, communities, just society in, in, in general, but uh, definitely highly mirrored inside of what is considered to be the conscious community or the culture communities. And a lot of it is a product of people not utilizing memory, but being fascinated by emotion. One of my youth had uh, asked me about an online teacher, quote unquote, recently, um, young person. Well, he's not young, actually. He keeps calling himself young, but he's almost 
if not already 30 years old. So he's not a young person. But um, he was asking me about him, and I said, nah, mm-mm, that, 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 son, that's not it. You know, and a lot of times people can, can slip in certain things through the back door because they're talking to people who don't really utilize and take advantage and capitalize on their memory. So this person could have conned people out of money a year ago, two years ago, six months ago even. And if he or she says something that is considered to be brilliant or genius today, all of that goes out the window. Or people will say, well, you know, uh, I don't worship teachers. I don't worship these people. I don't see them as leaders. You know, I, I chew up the meat and spit out the bones, you know. But if you're eating poison, <laughs> it's still in your system. OK, uh, whether you, you know, you thinking with your tongue, you can distinguish between the meat and the bones, but you don't know how many other shards of dangerous substance are put inside the meat as well. Right. So the best thing to do is to leave it all alone. But then that would require you to enact more thinking on your part and um, enact more morality and integrity, which most people don't want to do. So they come up with all these slick little phrases to keep doing the wrong thing. Right. So why is that so prevalent? You know, this work, 1984, digs into that. Right. I said, you know, I'm opening up with kind of giving you some perspective because maybe it may help even, you know, as I'm speaking and we're going to all of all the different works. It helps you to see where you're at. A lot of times I don't do movie breakdowns because, like I said, most movies and most books, not books. No, I'm sorry. Most movies are the same exact theme. It's the Osirian theme. All of them, you know, Conan is, is, you know, could be Samson. He could be Hercules, you know, um, to a degree, even um, never ending story. Yeah, I mean, but there are variations on a theme a lot of times that you can pull different things from if you know what to look for and know how to apply it to a a relevant context. So um, I'm speaking about these things now because they're relevant now. 1984 was a very interesting book because it was first published uh, in 1949. So just to give you um, some perspective, this is not like an alternative universe of 1984, what it would have been like. Uh, This was an idea in 1949, 40 years from now, this is what the world will look like, you know? And uh, it wasn't about like flying cars. And I mean, they were, they were new kind of technology. Well, can't even say really new because a lot of that technology, the Germans already had. And a lot of um, the work was actually or or the environment, the dystopian environment that Orwell created was actually supposed to mirror the Soviet Union. But um, you could also say that there was a mirroring there of um, Nazi Germany, especially in terms of the uh, different technologies, you know, like video phones. You know, they had video phones, you know, um, in Nazi Germany. But um, so I say that to say that. It provides some structure and some context as to why the social thinking mechanism is what it is today. When you start to understand what totalitarianism produces or what, um, you know, 24 hour surveillance produces or where you get the term big brother from, you know, that term big brother comes from this actual work. When you say like, oh, big brother's watching, there was even a reality TV. I don't know if they still have it, but. I know at one point there was a reality uh, TV show, Big Brother, and of course it was people being filmed, right? So that idea, which was considered to be a, a insidious overreach of government in the actual film, 
later became entertainment for us, right? You know, being able to watch it on TV, uh, as if people still watch TVs now, right? But anyway, you have this idea in the work of 1984 where essentially information is constantly manipulated, constantly. Uh, you have your uh, your main character in, in the actual work. His name is Winston, right? And um, his job, he works basically for like propaganda department. And what he does is he, he, he primarily he changes stories, right? So, you, you know, you have his name is Winston Smith. So he's kind of just like a um, like we would say an everyday Joe or an average Joe. You know, he's he's just kind of inconspicuous and just doing his job. But what the problem is, he's starting to have flashes of memory. So for you to understand uh, how important that is to this work. The, the, the idea and the job of the government is to keep is to distort memory, is to change what the collective history and the collective memory of people, of what, what people hold at all times, right? So individual thought, they have what they call thought crimes and they have the thought police. And what they basically do is they punish people who have independent thought or who practice any level of isolated intellectualism or even individuality. So there's a couple of themes that I'm going to just focus on when it comes to 1984. And I'm going to tell you the things right now, unisexuality and language. OK, so I got to give a little bit of this background, but I won't have to give this background on the, on the other movies because you're, you're going to start to see the broad wave that, that we're, we're riding to get to the, the truth of of political manipulation and, and why sometimes we behave the way we do. And we think more importantly, the way we do. So this is idea with Big Brother and Big Brother is like um the government or, or, or like the president, you know, Big Brother is the leader of what they call the party and the party. You know, you have basically three groups inside of 1984 in, inside of this, 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 this world that's been created called Oceana. And you have the inner party, the outer party and the proletariats or but they just call them the pros. Right. And the proletariats are the ones who exist outside of the civic and the civilized culture. You know, um, it's a very interesting kind of um, dynamic, which I don't want to get into too much right now. But they're almost they're, they're almost like the free people, but they're you know they're poor. They have nothing, you know, and they they live from scraps. Then you have the outer party, and the outer party is where we have like Winston uh, Smith, and later you I'll talk about Julia and a couple other people. But um, these are basically like the middle class people, but they're still extremely poor. Right. But these are middle class. These are people who have jobs that and their jobs are, are primarily centered around affecting what policy is, you know, what social thought is, things like that. And then inside of that, you have the inner party and the inner party are like the, the ruling oligarchs, if you if you will. Right. So with this idea and, and what this culture that we have inside of uh, um, Oceana, who in their supposedly supposed to always be at war with um uh Eurasia, you know, or Eustasia. It's sometimes it's it's called by two different things. And there's this constant uh battle between logic and illogic, right? So it gets really, really deep. And I'm I'm trying to not go too deep into it because this could easily be a 
four hour show, if not more. So I'm, that's why I'm just going to stick on two, two really things. But one of the important things I want you to understand what, what Orwell did was that when he wrote this work, it, it was about the future, but it wasn't about the future. It was about the present. And it was almost like when you have certain cartoons that have such a politically strong, you know, a strong political mix in it, like, you know, Boondocks or um, South Park, you know, and uh, they're able to say things that you wouldn't necessarily be able to say inside of, you know, um, a, a live action arena, if you will. Right. So um, with this particular work, he's positioning it like it's something that's happening in the future. But if you're really paying attention to everything that's being said, he's showing you the the climate that people are living in right now. So, of course, we look at 1984 and we say, well, that, you know, that was like 40 years ago. But um, <laughs> you, you you get an idea of, well, even back in 1949, there was a certain machine that was present and that particular machine is still present today. And we may look at a, at a dystopian environment or, to, or again, a, a totalitarian environment. And we may say, wow, you know, maybe we'll get there one day. That would be horrible or have like a thought police. When you look at like the, um, is it the adjustment bureau? The one with Tom Cruise? Uh, no, the adjustment bureaus with Anthony Mackey. Uh, it'll, it'll come to me later. Um, but, um, you know, you might look at something like that and you might say, well, wow, I mean, you know, that would be that would almost be like a like 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 an Illuminati type theme, if you will. And like I've often told people, you know, who are constantly concerned about the Illuminati or the New World Order, it's it's already started. Like the first two or three stages are already completed. You know, it's almost over. <laughs> At this point, and people are still waiting and looking and not realizing that we've been inside of it for a very long time. Minority Report. That was a movie with with, with Tom Cruise. All right. So. Um, again, like that kind of theme in Minority Report, where we're going to we're going to incriminate, we're going to indict you for uh, a prediction that we have of your criminal activity, even though you've not actually performed the critical I mean I just performed the criminal activity as as of yet. So in this movie you have uh what we're told is an antagonist by the name of Emmanuel Goldstein. And um he's kind of the leader of an underground resistance movement. So you're constantly getting all these different war reports uh of how Oceana is fighting the resistance, right? Um now Move to a couple of things quickly, but I'll come back as we. So every every after this one, the other films, I'll kind of pull the last segment into the next segment. In fact, I might just do them all right now, but not, you know, just release them at different times because, you know, I don't want to give too much too soon. So one of the important things to understand about this world of Oceana is that there's a drive towards removing sexuality. That's a very important point. Um, so you'll find that the men and the women, the men and the women, they dress exactly the same. They're only distinguished by a red sash that the women wear. So, yeah, they're distinguished by a red sash. 
Now, these are women who are in the outer or the inner party. The pros or the proletariats, um, who they consider to be like monsters, I mean, not mon like animals, they dress how they how they want, you know. So it's it's almost it's a weird thing because it's almost like they're they're poor and they have nothing, but they have freedom and they're able to get access to black market goods like real sugar. They they don't they don't eat real sugar in this environment. They eat something called saccharin or um, gin and chocolate and, and, and things like that. And um, you really have to read the book or watch the movie to get a better understanding there. But, I, you know, I don't want to go too far off. I might come back to some a, a little bit of that. But let's go back to the unisexuality and the removal of sex as a means of, of population control and even controlling the ambitions and the natural perspective of people. A lot of this is done even today, right, through words. So there's there's a blending of the two together, right? So we'll get to the words thing. But like I said, when you're able to create uh, this or, or when you not create, when you're able to destroy and eradicate the idea of sex or or your you you now create this new ideology surrounding gender gender then you're able to create a monolithic working class so now there isn't something that men should do there isn't something that something that women should do everybody does the same work it makes things a lot easier right so if you look at the sexual revolu revolution which was really came out from the, the the feminism of what they call the gay li gay liberation or um the creation of of queer theory uh and a lot of that philosophy it it was deeply rooted in like atheism and, and nihilism and the whole idea there was that not that there was an idea uh, people think that the, the desire of that radical feminism was to replace the position of the man so a lot of people said, OK, well, women want to be as men. That wasn't really the case. The goal there was to completely eradicate ideas of gender. And the, the idea there was to um, remove any kind of assimilation tactics or any kind of spiritual or religious conscious that people would have. Right. So it's like the goal. And it's not it's like in. Oh, man, I might read, you know, I, there's some other parts. I'll save that for something else. Uh, yeah, I'll save it for something else because I, I got I have a whole nother uh, thing on that. Um, it was a little post I was going to do, but actually right now I'm restricted on Instagram. I did a post about apartheid and they didn't seem to like that. So uh, I've been restricted now for about, I don't know, 14 days or so. So I can't post. I can't uh, like too much can only like inside of comments. I can't comment. Um, <laughs> yeah, they, they, they took me down. You know, they took me down. So uh, it's cool. You know, no biggie. So there was actually something I was going to say in a post on there, but uh, I'll probably at some point weave it into this particular work that we're talking about. Uh, or I'm saying it's this these three show series. So again, anyway, so you had, you know, these feminists in the, in the 60s and the 70s who uh, they expressed clearly, like, you know, Firestone was one of them, uh, Shulamith. She was a Marxist, but she was also a feminist. But Shula, Shula, Shulamith, I think I'm saying her name right, Shula. I always remember it was Shulamith, Shula, like Shola, the, the archetype. But Shulamith, her last name was Firestone. But um, her whole, whole idea was not that 
there's an elimination or an eradication of male privilege, but the distinction of sex has to be eradicated. So the idea of biology to her, she considered to be a form of tyranny, right? So she wanted to have a clear pathway to pansexuality, and she wanted to replace heterosexuality with pansexuality, so that way all forms of sexuality would be indulged in and, and, and tolerated and accepted, because her whole idea was that unless a revolution had the ability to uproot the basic foundations of your social structure, then it wasn't really a real revolution, right? So for her, the basic foundations of, of social structure and organization were the biological family or the nuclear family. So that was what, what would have to be destroyed. And then once that would happen, then there would be people who would be free to what, what they call self-identify. Right. And, and that self-identification, you know, they, they would there would be no more male-female binary. And people would just be, you know, they would be free to engage in any kind of sexual activity that would that would be considered consensual, you know, um, whether it's regardless of marital status, age, um, the amount of people involved, gender, the type of sex, whatever it is. Um, so her idea that she put forth in the 70s, in the 70s, we're talking about 50 years ago, as as of today, you know, um, was that every ind individual, including children, should be free to self-identify beyond that binary and it should be the end of any kind of family or biological ties that should be done away with. Okay. That was her idea of like the, the ultimate end goal where there was a full unrestriction of any kind of sexual indulgence that you uh, chose to engage in. Right. So 50 years ago, again, we, <laughs> It's a rabbit hole, right? So I know for some people, they're like, 50 years of that sounds, sounds about where we're at today, <laughs> you know, or on our way to, you know. So a lot of times, again, if, if you're not working from a historical perspective, the study of history is very important because it lets you position yourself. And in this book of 1984, the study of, of history was primarily outlawed. So Winston, his job, he worked for like the propaganda machine. And his job was to change headlines of he they would have old newspapers and old reports. And what he would do was that he would to make sure that the inner party or big brother rather was never wrong. His job was to put out reports that would coincide with what was said previously. So let's say, for instance, to, to give you an example, um, if. If um, if in 1985, somebody said, you know, um, we're going to go to war with this particular country over here. But as a result of the war, we're going to get cheaper oil prices. But now it's years later and the oil prices haven't dropped. His job would be to look at the old paper and then put out a new broadcast saying that now there's been a 10 or 15 percent reduction in the price of oil. Right. Um because what do you know? Now, you might look at the you might go to get gas and say it doesn't seem like it. I'm still paying the same at the pump. But if the government is saying it and it's in our newspapers and our film are saying it, then that must be the case. 
So the whole idea here with the propaganda machine and more importantly with Big Brother, one of the things they used to say is that two plus two can equal whatever we say it is. Right. So the whole idea was it's not about your your independent thought has to be eradicated and you have to assimilate yourself into what we say it is. So there's a constant um, what we would call like an obscuring of the truth, if you will. So Orwell said something interesting, you know, George Orwell, he said that um, if, you know, thought has the ability to corrupt language and language can corrupt thought. And if you control the language, you can control the argument. So the idea there is that if I can, and, and I'm sure a lot of you go through that sometimes when you're even speaking about maybe some of the changes you're making in your life and you may not have the words or the language to express it, it's hard for you to control what the argument is going to be if you're talking to someone. The person who has a language for their argument or the language that be, that's the paradigm that you're sitting inside of always becomes a legitimate, quote unquote, winner, winner, if you can. Right. So the whole idea here, this is where we get into what they call new speak. New speak was a term that was used in the movie 1984. Super hyper critical concept, super hyper critical concept that you need to understand. You know, I'll give you an example. A lot of times when people are asking me questions, they get frustrated with me because they don't get the answer that they were looking for. Because sometimes I'll say your, your question doesn't make any sense. It makes no sense at all. And, you know, people say, oh, you just you just nitpicky when it comes to words. No, it's not that I'm nitpicky. It's you don't know what's coming out of your mouth. You don't have a clue as to what you're saying right now because you're trapped into the, in the machine. I'm not trapped in the machine, so I'm not going to have. If, if I have a dialogue based off of the foolishness that you're saying, then now I I am now acquiescing myself to that agenda. So a lot of times my responses will be a question. Someone will say, well, what do you think of this? Or what do you believe about this? And many of you have heard me say this before. I don't believe anything. Well, and as soon as I say I don't believe anything, people will turn around and say this. You don't believe in anything. Do you believe in God? Now, you just heard me say I don't believe anything in anything. So now we got to we got to walk through this now. Do I believe in God? All right. So you already asking me a dumb question. Number two. So let's let's go to number two. After you should have just been slightly awakened by my first response. But you're trained not to think about what comes out of the mouth of your peer, but only out of out of Big Brother, because Big Brother is always watching and you're always watching Big Brother. That was another key thing in this film. They could never turn off the broadcast. So they had these big screens in their, their flats or their apartments that never turned off. They didn't have the ability to turn them off. They woke up with Big Brother watching, went to sleep with Big Brother watching and constantly pumping these broadcasts to them. Sort of like a phone, right? So, like I said, someone would say, oh, well, use your first response is, you don't believe in God? And then I'll ask another question. I'll say, well, what's God? You know, I mean, come on. I mean, you know what I'm what I'm asking you run. Why are you being difficult? You see, it, it, it's it always goes down the same exact path. Some people don't realize when they're they're in front of an they have an opportunity to awaken out of some of these straw man words that are utilized that are keeping them trapped. Because remember, if you control the language, you control the argument. Right. So here's another great one that people have gotten very upset when I say when I use the term dissexual as opposed to homosexual right when i use this now this is the beauty of having a podcast i say what i want if it's on youtube or something <laughs> and be done all right so that's why i only usually put the first few minutes 
on YouTube, but um, and I pay for the podcast, so you know I'm paying every month. So you pay for it, you get a little bit more freedom. But um, when I use that term, people, it almost feels like a violent term to term to them, and that's because again, what they've been trained and taught to imagine about you know someone who who uses a term that doesn't assimilate where the the where society is is telling you to go so they'll they'll even now tell you that certain language is like a violent um it's a violent action towards certain people it's, it's removing a significant idea of what their life is supposed to be if you don't if i use certain pronouns now i'm disregarding the person you know there's there's an argument that if you don't use certain program pro, if you use certain pronouns towards a person um it, it, you're not acknowledging their existence. Now you think about that for a second. So if I if I say if I see a female, but maybe she's not dressed in a feminine feminine way or doesn't carry herself in a feminine way, but I say her or she, now I've just pulled out a disintegrating ray gun and I've just blasted her to oblivion with the language. You know, it, it's very important to understand the intersection of politics and language and how it's used to kind of create these straw man debates and to kind of keep you from ever really looking at it with an honest perspective and a true perspective. So for instance, like when I say this sexual and people say, well, you mean homosexual? No, I, I, I know what I'm saying. I know what I mean. Because like when you look at the movie 1984, they had what was called Newspeak. And Newspeak was a way of shortening the language. So if you read the book or, and there's a whole, one of the best things about the book is the appendix. There's an appendix in the back that breaks down the language. So one of the things that they would do with the language, instead of saying something like, Ooh, that was very good. Well, I threw the Ooh in there, but you know, that was very good. They would say double plus good or plus good. You see, so they had a way of eradicating the extra color or the extra perspective of a word and just kind of dwindling it down to um, words that could be interchanged with others very quickly, right? So there was a re-engineering of thought in doing that. When you start to control the language, you're controlling the thought. So we take a word, which is really an, an oxymoronic word like homosexual, right? It doesn't actually make sense. If you really pull back for a moment, Remove yourself from the beast and from the matrix and look at the actual word. You realize that it's a straw man word, what we call it. It's, 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 it's not a real, it's like goddess. It's not a real word. It just, it just keeps you trapped into a cycle of stupidity. There's no such thing as asexual, bisexual, homosexual, pansexual. Um, um, there's no oral sex. There's no anal sex. There's no, uh, I heard somebody use the term body sex before. None of that exists. It, it's, it's impossible for that to be a reality. When you look at the word sex, it's, it's defined by male or female. So when you say sexual intercourse, you're speaking about the intercourse where a male goes into the, the reproductive course of a female. That's the only sexual coitus that exist. That's it. There's, there's nothing else. So anything you add after that, you're making up words. Okay. Now, how many words are made up 
around that 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 idea. You think about it, you know, and you can you can research these words. You can research these terms. What is sexual intercourse? Sexual intercourse is the act of procreation when a man's penis is inserted inside of a vagina. And that's done until orgasm and ejaculation happens. That's actually what sexual intercourse is. I just gave you the definition of sexual intercourse. Right. So that means two children, you know, uh, if, if it's a little boy who hasn't even ejaculated yet or can't, he, there's no sexual intercourse. If it's two little girls, two little boys or uh, um, somebody came to me the other day and told me about having sex with a horse. He said he was a pansexual. So if it's a situation like that, um, that doesn't exist. There's, you can't, you know, you, you rape. You just like like I explained to someone that person raped the horse, you know, but um, that doesn't happen because. I cannot procreate with a horse. You see, so if there's no procreation, if there's no ejaculation into the vagina for the purposes of procreation, then there is no sexual intercourse. Now, some will say, well, what about women who can't have children? Doesn't mean they don't have vaginas. You see, so again, the act of, of releasing into a vagina for the purpose of procreation is what sexual intercourse is. So now we look at certain terms that are completely politically contrived. They they don't exist anywhere else. It, it just you have sex in order to further your species. That's it. That's it. You have sex to further your species. So what is all this other stuff that we're talking about? And I've said it before and people get butt hurt, no pun intended. But we're talking about masturbation. So what can two guys do for each other? They can masturbate each other. So then you might say, well, what if I'm with a woman and we're playing with each other? That's mass. That's that's called hetero max masturbation if it's not heterosexual. Right. So you can have homo masturbation. I'm sorry for alerts and stuff going on. Um, let me turn the volume down. Um, so you can have homo masturbation. You can have hetero masturbation you can have pedial masturbation right these are all forms of masturbation because they're not to further the species they're not to procreate and of course you you're always going to have lower level thinkers that will say like well, it doesn't matter it does matter so those of you who are not those kind of thinkers you better take this is a serious serious topic that we're talking about because remember, like I've said, in I think it was grasping a divine power language frames your whole conceptual reality. So when you're using the wrong language, you're now framing the wrong reality. You're missing the picture. It's like having a picture of a of a sunset, you know, with a with a some fruit somewhere, and you're only framing the 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 base of the tree, and you're missing the sunset. You're missing the fruit. You're missing the valley, the street. You're missing everything else because you're framing the wrong thing because you're using these these misnomers that you've been given to that you've been given for political purposes. OK, and I don't want to just make it about that. I'm using that word as a as an example of, of this actual tactic I, I to get into why they do this and why it's so important to eradicate the family. We could we could do that another time. But. Like I've said before, you got to always remember that professed 
there's only there's there's less than four percent of professed professed gay people in America. Less than four percent. So how is it that there's less than four percent who identify as as bisexual, or transgendered, or or gay, or you know lesbian? How is it that they're able to um, yield so much power? You know, I said that before at one point, and some you know people kind of tried to say some funny things about me, but I said you know that LGBTQ community is one to study. You you know. Like, if you're really talking about nation building and building community, like, don't feel awkward about studying, even if you you may not be for their politics, but study exactly how they did what they've been able to do in such a short period of time. Now, of course, it helps because you have a you have a social system that already has historical roots in the activities that you're engaging in. Right. So when we look at the mother country, England, and then we look at Greece. Then we understand, OK, well, this isn't really too far off from what, you know, where we come from, if you will. And when I say we, I'm not talking about me. I don't come from that. Right. So but it's important if you study how people win, <laughs> you know, how how are people winning in this society? Right. And some people, again, they they they're taught to close their minds up. And this is a part of what we're talking about, you know, the idea of being able to dig into a thought or, or, or dig into something and create not a debate, but a true deliberation of what's actually going on and move yourself from the dominating culture's eye in order to think about something for five seconds is it's, it's pretty difficult, right? You know, or again, um, why are so, so many of these organizations empowered by the government? You know, why is it now when you go into school, or you work into you, you, you're in any environment where you have to work with children. I know this for a fact, you know, because I've worked with certain people who have to deal with this. You're given a whole handbook on things that you can't say, <laughs> things that you're allowed to say, things that you're not. You know, even now in schools, you're taught not to sit, not to use pronouns and not to even use the term um, babies. They have this term now that they use called babies. Excuse me, I need something more to drink. So you're using this term babies, you know, and then you accept it as a real word, further distorting your conceptual and contextual context of what's actually being said. And we're going to get it when we get into some more of the other films and stuff, you'll understand more of why this is the actual agenda or why there's such a push towards promiscuity, even though, you know, you would say, well, you know, what does promiscuity have to do with this? You know, when you have young children who are sexualized at four or five, six years old, they're told that they can choose to be this. This is a form of, of eugenics, you know? So it, it almost seems like a very interesting dichotomy because it's like more promiscuity is being pushed, but it's being pushed in order to, for population control to lessen the population similar again to the movie, uh, uh or the book 1984, there was this move towards the eradication, eradication of the orgasm, right? Very, very interesting. Like I said, I, I can't hit everything. I could, but I, I don't want to do all that talking. You see, I'm already having a drink <laughs> for my, my gallon bottle every five minutes anyway. But um, again, this idea here of, 
you know, um, how we're using pharmaceuticals and how we're using uh, government lobbying and all these different things in order to push this very interesting agenda. And it all equals up to, you know, we're, we're pushing and we're moving natural laws out of the way. Right now, we're we're, we're pushing natural laws out of the way. I mean, you even now have um, um, transgender psychologists, transgender therapists. Um, you have doctors now who specialize in this for children, even though they've spoken about the dangers that those pills do pr- before puberty, when they start giving those hormone pills, but they still give them to them anyway. Right. You know, or you think about you could use abortion. I had wrote an article years ago about this. It's floating around on the Internet somewhere. And I spoke about the dangers of abortion and. You know, some may be familiar familiar with this, but, you know, um, your estrogen as a woman, your estrogen increases in, in like your first trimester. And during that time, and it increases by like twenty five hundred percent, two thousand five hundred percent your estrogen. So that makes you more susceptible to cancer. But what happens when you go through a full term pregnancy about 90% of the breast t- tissue, excuse me, is now cancer resistant. It becomes a hostile environment for cancer because of the hormones that are generated from having a, a placenta and, and a fetal, that, that placenta and fetal interlink inside of your body. So now what happens is that when you're aborting a child within that, within your early stages and don't go through full term, you now make yourself more susceptible to breast cancer. You see, they say it increases your risk of breast cancer by like 40%. But they don't, you know, I'm sure they don't tell you that in Planned Parenthood <laughs> and things like that. But um, anyway, I don't want to make it too much about the sexual thing because it's, again, the, the book is, it, there's so much there and, you know, there's so much to pull from. It, again, if you can see that we're living in that space now. Right. Um, obviously, for, it's the past now. You know, uh, I remember reading the book around the time it came out, you know, and I, you know, not came, I'm sorry, it came out in 49. I'm talking about around the time the movie came out. I saw the movie later, you know, after after 1984. But, um, you know, it wasn't that old of an idea around it because there was a time period. And like I said, between like 82, 85, there was a lot of really interesting films that came out that were breaking a lot of things down around that time. I kind of developed an an interest for the deeper aspects of what a film could be. You know, um, in 84, you had gremlins came out. Um, you had romance in the stone. You had to search for Spock, um, ghostbusters, Indiana Jones and the temple of doom, you know, like, so you had like all of these different films that had this really heavy, like, ha- like if you, you know, you had to know how to look for it, but they had these, these esoterics that were present. And of course, I mean, I can't forget B Street came out in 1984 as well, as well as, uh, Breaking and Footloose. Yeah. Three films right there, uh, in the same year about dancing, right? Breaking, Footloose and B Street, you know, and then you start to realize that, um, it's not accidental, you know, things are kind of be timed are being timed, excuse me, you know, uh, in a certain sort of way, even, um, what was that? The one that came out in 84, children of the corn, children of the corn, 
you know, that, that one, you know, Outlander, we have your woman. Uh, the Legend of Tarzan came out, you know, Greystone, Legend of Tarzan, you know, these were all in, in, in 84, you know, so, um, and there were, there were others like, so between like 82, 85, there was a lot of very interesting films that came out that really set a tone, even Police Academy, <laughs> you know, but they, they kind of set a tone for where we are now and why we're mislabeling things now and misunderstanding things now. Like I said, um, there, they have always, there's always been this drive to remove the natural attraction between men and women. And you have to just know how to, you gotta, like, like we say, peep game. You gotta be able to peep game. And a lot of times, if you're not able to connect a historical agenda with what you're seeing right now, then you're constantly just running from symptom to symptom. Again, one of the reasons why I don't do current event shows, you know, I like people are like, oh, chief, just have him speak on it, speak on it. I'm not a woman. I'm not going to sit around at the hair shop just talking about what the men are doing. I'm not doing that. I think that's that's real suspect when guys do that. You know, um, why would you be talking about what other men are doing? Like, what's your talk about what you're doing? <laughs> you know, but again, we've been taught to see people in a certain way and pushes a push towards um, strong heterosexuality is outlawed. It's considered illegitimate. If I say something about the LGBTQ community, the first thing I have to do is say, listen, well, I don't have nothing against those people. I ain't got nothing. Everybody could do what they want to do. It ain't about that. But I'm just saying, I got to do that first. I got to do that because I got to be worried about lawsuits and the quote unquote cancel culture, all of these different things. But my spiritual doctrine that my people are birthed from tells me that that behavior is an as an abomination against my yah or my god but i can't say that so we can't even have a religious debate because then you might say something like well what kind of god is you guys supposed to be about love would would uh hate people who want to do something like that well my creator eradicates anything that draws people away from its laws and its commandments because that's essentially what the adversary or shaitan does its job is to is to create a false representation for everything that's created in the celestial kingdom you see so anything that now pulls me away from being one of the original children or one of the original people on the planet Anything that that glorifies something that pulls me away from my natural blood right is going to be something that my creator is going to hate. And hate means to disconnect. You don't always have to apply emotion with hate or even with love. Love is to connect. Hate is to disconnect. Right. So if I, you know, there's always that contention there where where it's like, well, you know, God loves me. And this and that. You know, it's funny. I was watching. Oh, man. Real ho. I'm about to say real hoes of Hollywood. Uh, it was uh, something divas. R&B divas, I think is the name of it. I had like uh, Angie Stone in it and um, uh, Kiki Wyatt and um, 
real pretty sister. What's her name? Selena. Selena Johnson. Um, a couple other, you know, um, people. But yeah, I think it was R and B divas, whatever. I don't really care. But anyway, um, I never have watched any of those type of shows. But you know, me being a musician and artist, like you know, it's like yeah. So my, if I see something that has like people in it who are, who are musicians, you know, I, I kind of give it a double take or whatever. Especially people who I appreciate their art, you know. So one of the things I noticed is that there's all this arguing and yelling and and bitch. I do this and da 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 da, and you don't know you got the right one. We go outside. I'll drag this mother effort, da 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 da. And then there's always at the end, you know, no weapon formed against me shall prosper. You know, <laughs> it's all this extra Christianity, you know, um, and it's like you, you're not very Christ-like, <laughs> you know, the idea that I can live however I want. I mean, even the way they're dressed, you know, you, you, you dress like you, like you selling vagina, you know, and uh, you're talking like anybody else like like you associating yourself with the world and then all of a sudden angie pulls goes in a pocketbook and pull out anointing oil and there's pouring anointing everybody's praying and yeah prayers jesus and then you know and um <laughs> that's what you have going on because again a lot of times the language has been distorted so you don't you don't understand things that are being said you know when it's said that if if, if a man lies with mankind as he lies with the woman and both of them have committed an abomination and they shall be surely put to death and their blood shall be upon them. People try to begin to twist and turn and, and flip that around. But, you know, you have to kind of look at like, OK, well, what does that mean if I do something like that? Ultimately, I'm pulling people away from their natural blood bloodline because of my desire to feel a sensation or to feel an because it's all based on it's not on, it's not based on procreation. It's not based on furthering anything or, or making sure that my line perseveres. It's based on what I feel this way. You see, so I'm actually now and, and it's very clear if you just kind of stay in that same realm that there is a condemnation of anything that goes against the natural laws that have been laid out before you already. So there's really, there's really no argument. And then especially when you look at like, OK, the idea, the term that's being used is a straw man term that the world gave to you. Right. So if the world is the domain of Satan, the material world, and they give you this term like homosexuality, if they give you a term like that, how do you now intertwine it or entangle it inside of your natural laws and divine doctrine and law, statutes and commandments? It doesn't work that way. Right now, I know I have a lot of people who like my information and stuff like that, who are a part of that, that sex style. And um, it's not personal against you. I'm not visualizing any of you while I'm speaking, just so you know. But I mean, you all know that I'm I'm not with that. You know what I mean? So I always tell people who, you know, I always end up talking to like face to face or whatever, who are in that that sex style, but still communicate with me like you do. You're pretty brave. <laughs> you know, you pretty, I got I to gotta hand it to you, you're pretty brave because you know, there ain't no, you're not going to get the tolerance speech from me at any moment in time. You're just not, you know, and for, for a lot of people, truth can be, you know, can feel very hurtful because it reminds them of what they know deep down inside. 
that they're going further and further and further away from the position of their soul if they even have one. You know, so when you're counteracting the lies that are inside of a, of a social agenda, you have to be careful of the language because the manipulation of that language will make sure that you are always talking about the wrong thing. <laughs> There's like this, this, you know, like somebody say, what, what you got against social homosexuals? I don't have anything is homosexual because there's, there's no such thing as that. <laughs> so that's that's not that's not the topic. That's not what we're talking about. You see, so like there's things I've said before, and I and I always get people say, "Well, chief, I know I know how you feel about the Christians. You don't like the Christians." I've never said that. I've never said that. You see, but people are so used to straw man arguments because they've been taught how to, or they've been taught to distort their perception. And obscure truth by corrupting language from a very young age. I don't have an issue with any group. I really honestly don't. How could I? As much as you see me pull from so many different places and filter and dissect and cut apart and chop and chop and chop and chop. And chop how could I? Honestly. Now, I don't like con people. I don't like people who manipulate people. I don't like bullies. You know, when people come into a space looking for help. I don't like people who figure out a way to profit off of that or, you know, keep people in the dark. If you're going to profit off it, then at least profit off. Give them something that's more valuable than the fiat notes that they gave you. That's my thing. You know, I'll give you a million dollars worth of information and game for a hundred dollars, <laughs> you know. So and that's a part of the on new way. That's something that that is in the on new way and our doctrine for our community that even when you're engaging in business, whatever it is that you're delivering to your clients and to your patrons has to be more valuable than what you charge for it. That's an, that's an edict that we have to follow. You see? So, you know, I, that, those things I don't like, but just uh, saying, I don't like this group of people and it, no, that, that doesn't make sense, you know, and I don't have time to have a problem with a group when there's, there's so many problems within my own group and I, and I'm being called and required to address that, you know? So again, people will create straw man arguments, you know, or they'll listen to everything. I just said, well, at the end of the day, isn't it all just about, it's all just about what I just said. So go back and listen to every single word and try to figure out what I'm talking about. I mean, I'm breaking it down very clear, but if it's still not clear to you, then take it step by step. Right. So again, a lot of times we end up having the wrong debate and not even realizing it because we're using the wrong terms and the wrong ideas. You know, again, I'm just using the, the sexuality as, as one thing because I think is, I, I, I think that particular agenda is, is very clear. You know, it was Pope Benedict. You're going to talk about like what I got a problem against, right? Pope Benedict. He had said, um, when your freedom to be creative becomes the, cre the freedom to create yourself, then the maker himself is denied. And ultimately, you're being stripped of your dignity as a creature of God, you know, because as the image of God is at the core of your being. Right. I thought that was such a profound statement said by Pope Benedict. Right. Um, and I, I don't love any popes, you know, but uh, he said that I was like around 20, 2011, 20, 
some somewhere around there. It was a while ago. It was probably about nine years, eight, eight, nine years ago. But um, you know, when he said like when when you become free to create yourself, then you know, you're denying your creator. And creating yourself and making yourself are not the same, right? But when you when you recreate yourself in that sense, now you lost all your dignity. And don't even realize it. You've lost all your dignity. You see? So it's so important that, you know, we start to look at the truth and the consequences of what we embrace. And this is what 1984 is about. Right. Um, when you look at new and they use word, words like thought crime, black, white, black, white is probably one of the most important words in the whole book. Black, white essentially means that. If the party says black is white or white is black, then you go with. So if today black is white, then black is white. If tomorrow white is black, then white is black. And you accept that change without question, you know, or or you believe that change without question. And you you then from your belief, you begin to know that black is actually white. And because the idea of history has been completely removed from you, then you don't have a history of ever even believing anything contrary to that thought. Okay, so there's a there's a constant reengineering of the past that makes it possible for you to embrace everything that I'm constantly changing. You see, that's that's one of the deepest things about the whole book. When you look at Winston Smith's job, he's constantly changing what the past was. You see, so it's just like <laughs> we'll be told like, oh, there's a war over here. But but, you know, and this is what's happening. That We're always at war. When are we never at war? Right. But you don't really totally know why we're at war. I mean, let's be honest. You don't really know. Even the people on the ground fighting don't really know. And we all know we don't really ever know. But then something will just will just change, you know. One of the ways you could look at the stock market for any of you who invest, I'm an investor. Um, you have to learn how to read reports. You could you look at the market throughout the day and market watch will, will release, you know, um, market plummets. Boom. And then hour or two later, you know, greatest gain seen since 2014, <laughs> you know, and it just keep going up and down like. And you you could be running like a hamster on a on a wheel because you're not if you don't know how to read what's actually going on you don't see that constant alteration that's happening you know so just like they they're in this constant war against Eurasia but they don't really know well those who are waking up to some of it they don't really know if that war is true if they've or if they've always been at war with them or if the war is a new thing because the history is constantly being written and overwritten and overwritten, 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 you know, and there's like, again, the way the words are played with becomes very, very deep. And then you have this concept of old speak. And then you have this concept of new speak. And then you have, um, uh, within new speak, you have double think, right? And double think means that you can hold two opposing ideas or beliefs in your mind and you can accept both of them. That's double think, right? And one of the statements that was said was that once people get to that place, then the party will know intellectually 
that the war has been won. I mean, I'm sorry, the revolution has been won. You know, so knowing how thoughts need to be altered is a very deep thing. So, again, if I say, um, I don't know, man, I could say an apple is bitter and then I can say an apple is sweet. Now, if you can hold both of those in, in your mind and accept both of them as true, even though you may have bitten into an apple and, and said it's sweet. But the party says it's bitter, so it must be bitter. And then you remove the memory of it being sweet. You see, and that memory is constantly removed because then the propaganda machine keeps saying that apples are bitter, apples are bitter, apples are bitter. So then you start to question your own. Well, no, I must not have had that memory that I that I thought I had, because now someone has been able to control the course of my own personal history going back what I perceive to be thousands of years. You see. And and then when a certain kind of fact reemerges or the party says something that doesn't come to be or whatever, then now they put out new propaganda and to always correct themselves. So essentially, Big Brother is never wrong. You know, and it's very interesting because each ministry that's present does the opposite of what they say they do. So, for instance, in, in society, today we have what's called peacemaker, peacemakers or lawmakers. But lawmakers are always getting caught in scandals. And we have peacemakers who are going out and killing people. I mean, you very rarely see peacemakers or policy agents or police actually bringing peace. Right. So that same idea is present in 1984, where you have the Ministry of Peace. But the Ministry of Peace is the mili militaristic wing. And then you have the Ministry of Love. And the ministry of love, they, well, they're the ministry of love and, and they kind of deal with reprogramming and like, like if they see that you're a thought criminal, they're the ones who actually take you and torture you. The ministry of love. You have, um, the ministry of truth. The ministry of truth where like Winston is, they lie to people all day. They, they're constantly changing stories and putting false reports out. These are, this is the ministry of truth. You have uh, the Ministry of Plenty. They handle the food. The people are starving all the time. They they don't even get to eat meat. You know, everything is kind of it, it's it's genetically modified. It's it's you know it's all kind of done in a, in a lab, if you will. You know, which is another another deep thing because there was a part in the novel where there's a nursery rhyme um, about lemons and oranges and. Winston is like, yeah, I, I remember lemons. And he was like, yeah, they were so they were common back in the 50s. And they were like so sour that, you know, he, he could kind of remember the, the sourness. He spoke about coffee at one point. I kind of remember coffee, but everything that's given to, to them is synthetic. So, like, they don't have fruit, anything like that. But um, they're given this gin. They're constantly drinking this gin and it's called victory gin. Now, if you read the book or watch the movie. You'll see that victory, that V, of course, uh, when later, when the Wachowski, well, they were brothers at the time, you know, um, <laughs> when they came out with V is from Vendetta, they utilized that same V concept. That's what, that's where they pulled it from. Uh, v from Vendetta is very much like 1984. You can see they, you know, it, it was, it was inspired. I think actually in the credits somewhere, it even says that. At some point, I couldn't remember. I read something like that in the credits of the, of the film, 
that it says something like inspired by 1984, George Orwell's 1984. But anyway, you have like Victory Gin, you have Victory Coffee. Um, they don't have sugar. They have these tablets, the saccharin tablets. Um, and all of these things taste disgusting, but people have lost their sensual or their sensory memory of the real food. So they just start to believe that this is just what it what it is. Like when he described chocolate, he said, you know, it has a taste of of charcoal, of like something that was in a like rubbish. It was in a rubbish fire and it got smoked out like somebody was burning some tires. And then that's what I'm eating. When he talks about um, the gin, victory gin, it basically tastes like car oil and nitric acid. And this is what they they are developed to believe what gin tastes like and, and things like that. You know, so whether it's reading or sex or, you know, any kind of utilitarian, utilitarian, excuse me, activity, I'm speaking too fast. Um, you don't get an opportunity to have a personal reaction or personal feeling about it because everything has been flattened down. Right. I spoke about this recently with with my ministry members on, on our Sabbath call. We were, and I was talking about how the soul of things has been extracted. You know, uh, even in the movies, I mean, I'm sorry, the music. If you go back and listen to the segment, if it's still even up. Um, analog versus digital. You know, And I was speaking about how MP3s are created. And how there's a flattening of the frequency response and the frequency symbol into this narrow band in order to compress the file and to make it smaller. Um, which you didn't, you don't have, like your natural ear has a much wider uh, frequency range. Like for instance, your average speakers have like a 20 kilohertz, um, to 20 kilohertz up, you know, uh, frequency range, right? But your, your ear hears much lower than that, like much more subtle sounds than that. But when you're listening through speakers, like this is all you're working with. And then when you're working with an MP3, it's even smaller than that, right? And then you start to believe, well, this is what music sounds like, you know, like, yeah, it's kind of harsh. It, it's gives me a headache after a while. I get tired of it, but this is, what it is right if you've never heard vinyl which has a much more smoother frequency response or even cd which is, even though cd is only 16 bit 44 kilohertz it sounds better than even a, a hundred or even a streamed 128 kilobit mp3 file i don't get off on that too much but i'm using i'm using that as an example i did a whole segment on it. it's, it's, it's out there somewhere um so there are certain things that are happening that are reawakening Winston and this book towards history, certain thing, you know, sometimes you can smell something and it brings you to a certain place, you know, like sometimes I might smell an old cologne, like Polo or Aramis. And I mean, no offense for anybody who still was Aramis or Polo or whatever, or like, um, what was the other one? Uh, was it obsession? All the girls used to wear, but you know, I might just smell like an old descent like that. And it immediately, takes you to a particular time or maybe there's a song that you hear and it, and it kind of takes you to a, a particular space and then by having that history it helps you to have a contrast of what's true or false so inside of that that space you know it's very similar if, if any of you have ever traveled to like cuba you know there's so many things that are missing there's you know food is rationed there and there's so many things that are that are missing based on what your palate may be used to if you live in North America, right? You know, like, so meat and things like that, you know, like, well, um, what do you call it? Red meat, like cow meat and stuff you can't really get a hold of. 
So they have all these chicken substitutes and these pork substitutes and things like that, you know, um, but you start to see that people begin to readjust their palate based on what their ruling body tells them that, you know, governing body tells them, well, this is what you're supposed to have or this this is supposed to be what you get. Um, And it becomes sort of a, a strange kind of wickedness, if you will. You know, um, and Winston had moments where he got to see like, you know, oh, the inner party gets real coffee and milk and real tea and wine and sugar and things like that. And the proletariats have black market access to those things at the same time. So the only one who's suffering is me sitting here in the middle. I'm supposed to be in the middle class and I'm working and doing everything I'm supposed to do. And I got to eat this garbage. (laughs) And, you know, I have this this horrible experience. That's in front of me, you know, um, but again, the ultimate um, vision that I wanted to speak about for just for now, um, you know, the, the the puzzle piece that this particular film represents and and this little thing that I'm going to do here is uh, the move towards unisexuality, the, the removal of sexual, natural sexual tendencies and natural sexual understanding. And this idea that, you know, we might ex- we might experience now that your orientation is a choice and, um, you know. Not really understanding where your where your proclivities may come from, you know, sometimes when people, for instance, who we might look at a drug addict a certain way, which is always horrible. Sometimes we don't realize that a drug addict is not addicted to drugs. They're they're addicted to to dopamine. They're addicted to serotonin. You know, they're they're addicted to those chemicals that create a certain feeling, certain states of being inside of them. Just like someone who you call a food addict or uh, a porno addict or sex addict or somebody, you know, some of you probably might have masturbation. You masturbate three, four times a day. It's not that you just love, you know, torturing your genitalia, you know, all day. It's, it's those chemicals that you're really looking for. And of course, then there's synthetic ways to get a hold of those, whether you're using um, um, M- M- amphetamines or, you know, you're using, you know, whatever. Right. There's there's ways that you can create the wrong kind of pathways. Well, the same thing happens when you introduce certain things to children when they're developing. You know, one of the interesting things about children is that they're obsessive. They're obsessive. Right. And if you ever raised children, you know that once you put one thing in front of them, they obsess over it. It could be a toy. <laughs> it could be a phrase. You know, I remember one of my youth. He went the whole summer. One, he was a little too old to be doing it because he's in. I think he was in middle school. I mean, he's around middle school age. I mean, he was homeschool, but he was around middle school age. But um he went. He decided to go the whole summer and refer to himself in the third person. You know, and that's just what it was. You know, um, and we just we. Just, and he knew it was annoying everybody, which is what made him want to do it even more. But um, he would not refer to himself in the first person. He just threat, but under the threat of anything. Let me just say that. You know. Um, cause youth are like that. Children are like that. They'll obsess over a particular thing. So if you introduce a certain kind of sexuality to a child or dissexuality to a child at a young age, they'll obsess over it. And what happens is 
they begin to create neural pathways inside of you, inside of their own psyche, inside of their own brain that should not even be created yet. Because they really don't even have those desires or those understandings of orientation and things like that. But they'll start to obsess. You tell them that, you know, um, you could be a, a girl, you could be a guy, you could be wherever. They'll obsess over what is sex and and the desire of it and and how I orientate myself and, and everything that they, they are begins to channel into that way of thinking and trying to determine if they're gay or if they're straight or anything. And this creates a lot of damage inside of the psyche. You know, because there's something that becomes obvious to them is that it takes a man and a woman to create a baby. But you're telling me a family could be something else. So now we get back to that two plus two equals five. You see, so a child is taught one plus one equals two. Real easy. So one mommy, one da- one daddy, you know, equals two. You got to add these things together to create something else. Right. But now you put this idea in front of them that, you know, same and same can maybe possibly produce at a time. They may not even understand how things are created and produced and in totality. You see, so now you're creating these these pathways inside of their brains that have no business being there. You see. And then that goes down. The the epidemic that that creates inside of society goes down such a deeper path, you know, um, but it's a form of exploitation. And it's a form of. Youth entrapment. You know, because you're entrapping them inside of certain lifestyles and, and ideas or sex styles that honestly are demoralizing and dehumanizing and they don't have the ability to rationalize it. Um, but it becomes normalized in a way that now they don't even know how to free themselves from that way of thinking because the path has been created. So now that way of thinking becomes their way of being. And then you couple that with the agents that are put into the food, the agents that are put into the water. And all of these things that create these these hyper sexual, hyper hyper effeminate states and cause people to, to to get certain sicknesses, you know, that never had any business being there. You know, I'm jumping around on my words a little bit here because um the movie addresses it in a certain kind of way. You gotta know how to look at it, or in the book addresses it, you know, in a, in an even better way. You have to know what to read. <laughs> you know, what, what to look for. But like I said, I don't want to really make it just a segment about that. And I know for a lot of you, you probably don't like what you're hearing right now. That's cool. You know, um, you've been taught to use the wrong words and the wrong ideas and you have been screwed up cerebrally. Like you, you've got pathways in your brain that shouldn't even be there. You see, and things now have become acceptable and normalized to you because they were introduced to you in such an insidious way. So now two plus two makes six, seven, five, four, three. It it makes whatever society tells you it makes. So you start to use certain terms and certain ideas that, you know, you're starting to reengineer your speech in a way and don't even really know what you're saying as you're saying it. Which is creates even more destructive pathways because you're you're now a victim to what they call in 1984 newspeak and those tactics of newspeak. All it does is it empowers the straw man ideas. 
and it creates division inside of a sane society. You see, and it's used to justify, ju justify and validate things that shouldn't really be happening. And that's how you can get very small groups to control large groups. Think about when you're in a classroom, the teacher will tell you something and the teacher might be standing in front of 30 children and says, well, this is the way you say things or this is the word that you use or this, this, that, that, that. And now you begin to destroy the sanity that's inside of you. And some people will say something like this. Well, it's just about love. If you love each other, then OK, you could you could love each other all you want, but there's certain biological things that are not going to happen off of love. There's certain things that just will not happen. So if we know that our families are defined by our own spiritual base, and again, if, if you've created your own God, which many of you have um, out of your own lifestyle, because again, you want to recreate yourself. So you become your own God. Then none of this really applies. It doesn't really matter. Right. Um, you've decided to go lose yourself in that. But once you start to see that there's a natural order that your creator has placed in front of you and you're using terms like love, which you probably don't even know what the word means. And you're using terms like love to create certain what you consider to be logical facts that but they, those logical facts go against what is being said. Then you have to now start to look at the logic of this. You know, for instance, if. I, I was watching a video somebody sent me recently where this woman was saying that we need to do away with the male species because they're nothing but a problem. So she was like, all male children should be killed. And if you just see a guy walking down the street, you should just kill him. And if we just kill the men, we'd be fine because they're the actual problem. OK, so an idea like that. If, if you look at it again, there's a malfunction that's happening inside of, inside of the psyche because nature Things, components and kingdoms in nature seek to reproduce itself. And there should be something in you that says, well, if the world is just all female, then there'll be no more reproduction. And I know what, what you're going to hit me with. Well, you know, women can, can produce their own sperm. Yeah, show me the woman who's, where are women producing their own children? You keep listening to these conscious con people. You Go ahead. They'll tell you your goddesses all day. They'll tell you your God. But look at them and look at their lifestyles. Can you see through the BS or you don't know how to read spirits because you don't have a spirit of truth in you? Can you see through the BS? Can they show and prove what they're saying? Tell them to take one of their wives, pull them aside, send her somewhere. She don't touch them for a year. And let's see if they produce a baby, the, the, the women by, the, by themselves. If they even have a wife. <laughs> They even have a woman. Most of them don't because they're, they're low key something else themselves. But um, just look at the log logical fallacy of that. You see, when, when we have certain animals that are going distinct, extinct, we consider them to be extinct when there's only one of them left. If we have a, a I don't know, an onyx puma, I don't, I'm just making them something, you know, and this is a rare form of, of the puma cat. And there's, and there's only one male left or there's only one female left. We consider that that animal now to be an extinct species. If there is a male and a female, then we get them to mate. And then they can repopulate 
their their species. That's how we look at it, right? So again, there's certain fallacies that are driven into the head. You know, when you hear things like homosexual marriage, gay marriage, there's no such thing. Doesn't it doesn't work like that, right? Um, and again, there's triggers in, inside of you that when you hear what I'm saying, you oh, you're I'm offended. No, you're not. You don't even know what to be upset about. <laughs> you just told you're supposed to be offended when somebody uses those words. It's like if if we I used to always when I was younger, when I would be around um, Caucasian people, whenever they would say the word New York Knicks, like I would clench my fist like I would, you know, and, you know, the, the name is the New York Knickerbockers. And they'd be like, yeah, the Knicks. As soon as I hear that with Nick. I would have a, a certain trigger reaction and I'd have to catch myself all the time. And sometimes I, I would like even say to myself, like, they're saying that on purpose. You're saying that on purpose. You're trying to mess with me. I should just go crack them. I should just go over there and right now and crack them. <laughs> you know, but it's it's that trigger response that we have without, again, stepping outside of uh, what we've decided to adhere ourselves to and really look at the connections that we're having with certain words and certain ideas and how it's destroying the solidified foundation of the building blocks of of our own sanity you know so again i really just wanted to focus on that unisexual agenda that sits inside of 1984 the idea of taking these developing minds and you know creating this hypersexualized environment to the point that it goes so far that it it goes into what they consider to be a utopia of pansexuality which again is a form of of population control. But most importantly, it's a way to reverse what the creator has created. That's the goal. Remember, that's always Set's goal. Set takes everything that Osar created and does the opposite and says it's like it's like Bizarro Superman, you know, Bizarro World and says, well, look, you don't have to do that. You could do you could do my way. You know, so the creator goes to Adam and says, here, here's the rules. And then, you know, the serpent goes to Eve and said, well, here's another set of rules, which just happened to be the opposite of what that one over there said. You know, so as we say, as above, so below. But we're not really recreating what's above. We're actually undoing what's above. And anything that seeks to undo What's above is wicked. It's wicked. It's anti-nature. It's wicked. That's what wickedness is. Wickedness and evil are not the same thing. You see. It's a lot you can learn from the book 1984. George Orwell did a um, a phenomenal job. And, you know, of course, he's, you know, he, I mean, he's George Orwell. So, you know, <laughs> so but um. You know, and I didn't even really get into Julia. Julia was another deep one. O'Brien, you know, um, you know, but th- there's a lot. Like I said, I can't really go through through everything because it's just it's just so much. When you even look at the geography of Oceania and um, Eurasia and East Asia, you know why they chose these particular places as as the idea of um, you know what what they were doing. Um, you know, the connection with the Soviet Union, which some of you may not even know what the heck that is, you know, depending on your age. But uh, I would definitely urge you to read the book, you know, um, understand what 
Emmanuel Goldstein represented in the book, as well as, you know, you could watch the film and probably get online. You know what I mean? I'm sure it's up there, it's around there somewhere. Um, but you start to really understand what false flag reports are. You understand this work, then you'll understand what all these conspiracy theories are about. You understand how con people are able to do what they do and do it consistently and never seem to stop. And then you'll understand truly what that, that LGBTQP, what the ultimate agenda is. So that way you're not fighting a straw man argument. Whereas, yeah, y'all just trying to take the man's place. I ain't trying to take no man's place. Trying to make sure there's no men or women. (laughs) That there's no distinction. You see, there's no distinction. Complete fluidity. That's why you start to hear words now like gender fluid. That's why you're hearing these kind of terms now. Pansexuality. You know, orientation is a choice. These are not new ideas. You're thinking they just, because just, if you don't have a concept of history, I already showed you someone who was speaking about that in the 70s. Shulamith uh, uh, Firestone. And then we have this book in 1949 that was written that was breaking down the same thing. You see, some people are patient. <laughs> they have long-term plans that they put in place, you see. And then they know how to change the historical perspective. And that's where the power is. You know, like Orwell said, if you control the language, you control the argument. So You have to root yourself in divine language, in temple language, and be careful with new thoughts and ideas or new thoughts are trying to be implanted inside of you through language and ideas. You got to really source where they're coming from. And if they make sense or are we are you looking at what they call like the dictionary of new speak? Are you giving me a new way of speaking because you want me to have a new way of thinking? Is that what's happening right here? All right. So. Chief, you yeah. Right. Um, willfully, you got something out of this it was a little bit longer than I wanted, maybe about. 10 minutes longer than I want it, but we're all right. Um, because again, so much I'm trying to leave out. Um, I didn't even talk about like really how their living standards were and how that's reflective or, um, the, the whole idea of censorship and most importantly, surveillance, the surveillance thing was key because they didn't know they were being literally digitally watched. They knew big brother was watching cause he was always on the screen and it was a concept, but they didn't know, that those cameras were two-way cameras. How comfortable now? I mean, some back in the days, people would take tape, put them on their computer cameras and phone cameras. Do you do that anymore? You're just like, ah, screw it. <laughs> how much com- How comfortable are you now knowing that that camera can be turned on remotely? You know? So, you know, just little ideas like that. And you, you, again, you think about such an old work, something that was written 70 years ago uh, to still be so... So accurate. All right. So willfully, again, you all in, enjoy your day. And you, you all enjoy your time. And uh, I will do Conan the Barbarian next. Next one I'm going to do. Um, another really deep one. Now, I read all the Conan. They, they were they're actually books. They did the movie, but there's a series of books. Um, you understand, like when you start to read it, you realize Conan was actually a more. But um, another really deep series. And, you know, the writer of that series, he was really tight with H.P. Lovecraft. You know, so, <laughs> you know, there's so much there. Just once you hear names like H.P. Lovecraft, 
you know already like, okay, this is not what, not what you're telling me it is, <laughs> you know, but, uh, we'll get into Robert, Robert Howard's Conan the Barbarian. Of course I'll, I'll hit the movie a little bit, but, um, it's all tied into what I just talked about. These three movies are all, all dealing with the same concept. All right. And you'll see, we're going to tie it together. All right, everyone. So enjoy your day. Be well. Uh, Chief Yuya out. Make sure um, you're on the works. And for those of you always who have, you know, left positive reviews on Noir Mail, thank you so much for that. Um, it helps for people to understand because, you, as you know, and I always say, I don't really do a lot of promo, if any, you know, um, so it helps to for people to understand what the works are. Oh, this is what it's about. OK, cool. You know, so those those reviews help me a lot. So that way I don't like to have to talk about the works too much. Um, I prefer for you to talk about it, you know, um, and I like hearing your perspective. too. That's another thing, too. Sometimes when you guys leave reviews and I'm thanking you, I'm thanking you. But, you know, I'm, I, I'll tell you something I'm, I'm actually interested in sometimes. Um, what resonated with you? Because different people like things for different reasons, you know, and different things jump out at different people for different reasons. So sometimes I'm interested in like what what hit you? What, what was what was the thing? What was the concept? What was the idea that actually hit you? So, you know, you can always share that you like on the Amazon reviews or even the iTunes reviews for these segments and stuff like what resonated. I'm always interested. In that. All right, everyone. Be well.